Father, we do pray for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit now. Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive what you have for each one of us. And we, I pray, Lord, that none of us could miss what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So <clears throat> there was this guy. He went to the doctor because he had a major problem. And so he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, what's wrong? The man said, I heard all over. The doctor said, what do you mean all over? The man said, every part of my body is in pain. The doctor said, well, let's delve in a little bit deeper here. So the doctor said, why don't you go ahead and touch your knee? So he touched his knee and yelled out in pain. The doctor said, hmm, uh, go ahead and touch your chest. So he touched his chest, and again, he screamed in pain. The doctor said, go ahead and touch your head. He touched his head. He was, again, he yelled out in pain. Finally, the doctor said, well, <clears throat> I know your problem. It's quite clear. You have a dislocated finger. See, sometimes our problems really in life are so painful, they can just take over our whole life. And we can get to where that's all we think about is that problem or problems. We're fixated on those problems. They dominate our thinking. And so how do we handle those kind of situations when there's something that's just overwhelming in our lives? How do we handle it? Well, we're going to see from the life of King Jehoshaphat today out of the Old Testament how to handle a situation when you feel overwhelmed by it. Let me back up again and remind you, we're doing this series called God's Grand Story where we're looking at the whole story of the Bible. And so far we've been taking the Old Testament, we divided it into six parts. Remember those six parts, we have beginnings, and then we have wilderness wanderings, and then we have promised land. People of God go into the promised land. And then we have a united kingdom of Israel under one king. We have Saul, then David, and Solomon. And then there's a fifth part, is divided kingdom. That's the part we're in right now. <clears throat> and the sixth part is captivity in the coming kingdom, which we'll get to very soon. So right now we're looking at this part of the Old Testament. It's called the divided kingdom. And if you remember what happened is after Solomon, there was a divided Israel. And the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, after a conflict, divided away from the ten northern tribes. And those ten northern tribes in this part of the Bible, primarily we're looking at 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, those, those ten northern tribes began to be called Israel, and the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were called Judah. And what we found out, <clears throat> we talked about it last week, is that there were 19 kings in the northern kingdom of Israel over this 300-year period, and all 19 kings were bad. They were all evil. But at the same time, there were 20 kings <clears throat> in the southern kingdom of Judah, and about eight of them were good to varying degrees. And we looked at one of those last week, whose name was King Asa. But today we're going to look at really a little bit, you know, another picture of a king that's mostly good, and his name is Jehoshaphat, and he's the son of King Asa. And there's so many things we could actually say about Jehoshaphat's life, but what I want to do is I want to focus on one particular situation where he was really feeling overwhelmed, and so was Judah, and how he handled that, because I think there is some steps for us when we're handling a problem and feeling overwhelmed by it, by looking at how he handled it. 
So I'm going to go ahead and, and read 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 through 25, you can look in your Bibles or your device, but also the verses will be on the screen. Starting in verse 1. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Menuhites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. And some came and reported Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and he said, now here's his prayer, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear us and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All Judah is standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, their children, then in the midst of the assembly of the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, and the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite, the sons of Asaph, and said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not, be, do not fear nor be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. <clears throat> Station yourselves, stand, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and of the sons of the Korahites 
stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, here's what they're singing, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things, which they took for themselves, more than they could carry. And they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. So he just, this is an amazing story. I want you just to see what happens. When Jehoshaphat receives this word that these three armies have come together and are coming against them in a massive assault, he makes some decisive decisions and some very unconventional decisions. And I want us to walk through these key decisions because these same decisions he made are decisions that we should follow his example in when we are also feeling overwhelmed by our problems. The first thing he does, <clears throat> number one, is he turns to the Lord. He turned to the Lord. God was his first line of defense, not his last resort. Second Chronicles 20, verse 3, so it says, Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord. So this was a decisive moment for him. By the way, I think it's important that we understand that it's not usually the crisis that destroys people. It's what they do when they have the crisis hit. When the crisis hits, how you respond is what's most important. So what do you do when your land's being invaded? Well, it seems like what you would do is you would get your guns, you would get the army. I mean, Judah had a pretty powerful army. But that's not the first thing Jehoshaphat does. His first thing is not to think of all the ways that he can humanly do something about it, which is our tendency. His first thing that he does is he just immediately turns to God in prayer. And this takes faith and it takes humility, but it's in that place of faith and humility where the, we access really the supply and the power of God. So he starts off there. He starts off by turning to the Lord. <clears throat> so think about whatever the problem is that has come to mind right now in your life, the problem or problems, and just to think, if, if, my, if I really turn to the Lord on this problem, 
And if not, this is where we need to start. Turn to the Lord. All right, what's the second thing that they do? The second thing he does is he calls a fast. He calls the whole the whole tribe of Judah and Benjamin, he calls them to a fast. And there is, somehow he understood there's supernatural power in adding fasting to your praying. First time I really experienced this in a powerful way was many years ago. And I was in a prayer meeting and we had probably 20 people and we were in a house and we were worshiping and praying and someone had told a friend of theirs about this prayer meeting. And so she brought her seven-year-old son who had become mute over the last, I think, six months to a year. He had not spoken a word. And he, he, was, he was manifesting peculiar behavior. So she brought him, the seven-year-old, to our prayer meeting. And, as, and as, as they came in, as we would praise the Lord, every time we'd say Jesus or anything we sang about the blood of Christ, this little boy would begin to manifest demons. And he would just be he's mocking, and then he began to attack. He, was physically, he physically attacked me as I prayed for him, and the boy was, was uncontrollable. And even that night, you know, I, I tried to cast the demons out of the boy. The boy, the boy clearly, this was, not, this was not anything that was natural that was happening. And I couldn't get the demons out of the boy. And the mother left that prayer meeting you know, pretty disheartened, but as she was leaving, I said, would you come see me in four days? Bring your son in four days to my office. And, four, and so the next four days, I just fasted. I fasted, and I prayed, and she brought her son to my office, the same boy who attacked me physically, clawing and kicking and biting. She brought him to my office, and, and when they came in the door, she... The boy let go of her hand. He walked over. I was sitting in my chair. He walked over to uh, me, and he climbed up in my lap, laid his head on my chest. And I just whispered in Jesus' name, come out of him. And his body just trembled, just trembled. And then he began to speak. And in just a few weeks, he was completely normal with no more problems. And there's tremendous power when we add fasting to our prayers. Remember the disciples couldn't get the demons out of this child? And Jesus said, this kind comes out only with prayer and fasting. And so the disciples learned that day. I learned that day the importance of adding uh, fasting to your prayers. Just a few years ago, I was in Myanmar, and I was doing a pastor's conference in Myanmar. And we were watching God do a lot of things in, in the pastor's lives. At the end of the conference, uh, they were taking me to the airport. And on the way, Pastor T said, I, I want to swing by this one pastor's house that couldn't make the conference. He has a four-year-old son, and this four-year-old son has never spoken one word. He's been mute his entire life. And so I said, well, let's go by there. So on the way to the airport, we go by his house, and we pray for him. And I don't see immediate results. And I've got it. I'm not supposed to catch an airplane. The first thing that comes to my mind is we need to fast and pray for this boy. And so I tell the pastor, I say, you and your wife fast and pray for the next four days for your son and pray. And I'll keep praying too. And so I went on to the airport 
and, and a few days later, about a week later, I called up Pastor T in Miramar. I said, would you contact that pastor? I want to know if his son is speaking. So he calls the pastor up, and he, and, he, and, and his son's not speaking. He calls me back. He says, no, he's not. I said, did, did they fast and pray? So he calls him back and he said, did you fast and pray? He said, no, we didn't fast. He said, remember, you're supposed to fast. We, that was the word of the Lord to you, fast over this. So the pastor and his wife begin to fast. They fast, you know, I don't know, four or five days that week. They, they lay hands on their son and pray for him. He begins to speak for the first time in his life. You know, there is, there's, added, there's added power to our prayers in fasting. And there's, there's a desperation when we get to the point of fasting because, you know what? Nobody likes to do it. But there's tremendous power in it. It takes sacrifice to do it. But if you're in a desperate situation, you're overwhelmed with a problem, then let's follow this guideline. First seek the Lord. Next thing we see, he, he calls Judah together to fast over this. And so the second step is add fasting to your prayer life. And by the way, if you're saying, I'm unfamiliar with this whole area of fasting, I've never done it, I don't know how to do it, I would encourage you to go to gracearlington.com, our website, gracearlington.com. Just, just search fasting. There's a lot more information on fasting on our website on how to do it and how to use that as a weapon, a powerful spiritual weapon. All right, what's the third thing we see Jehoshaphat do when he's got an overwhelming situation? The third thing he does is he gathers other believers together to pray. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 4, it says, So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. So now there is a prayer of agreement that is going on here. And we know that Jesus is very clear about the power of the prayer of agreement. Matthew 18, 19, Jesus says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done them by my Father who is in heaven. So <clears throat> what's the third thing you do is you get other people involved in praying with you. You ask other people, would you join me in prayer with it on this situation? And even meet with them, pray with them. But get someone else to join you in your request. Don't handle your prayer need alone. So we see three important steps here. You've got an overwhelming situation. Don't just get on your phone and try to fix it right away. Seek first, turn to the Lord. And then, you know, the desperation should drive us then to say, okay, what else can I add to strengthen the power of my prayers? Fasting. What else can I add to the strength and the power of my prayers? Prayer of agreement. So we see the first three steps that we see modeled by Jehoshaphat. All right, what's the fourth step? The fourth step is, in the midst of the situation, they kept their eyes on the Lord. They got their eyes off the problem, and they got their eyes on to the Lord. Second Chronicles 20, verse 12, they say this, For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I just, I love this prayer. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so in the midst of your problems, you know, sometimes we're so fixated on the problem. We've got to get our eyes off of that now and on to the Lord. 
We don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. So they start seeking the Lord first. They had fasting. They had they turned to get the prayer of agreement going. And then in the midst of this, while they're still in the midst of it, they get their eyes off their problem on to the Lord. All right, the fifth thing we see Jehoshaphat do and the people of Judah do is they trusted God to fight for them. They trusted God to fight for them. Second Chronicles 20, verse 15. Listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat. This is the prophet speaking. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. <clears throat> and I believe that's a, a word of the Lord to some of you today, that the battle that you have before you is not yours. It's God's. God's going to fight this battle. God's going to fight the battle. So what do we do? Well, we trust him. We trust him to fight for us. We trust him that he's heard the prayer. That he's not ignored it. Even if we hadn't seen the answer yet, we're believing he still will fight this battle for us. And then finally, we see the sixth step that they took. And the sixth step they took is they went forward now with praise and not fear or complaint. They didn't move forward now with fear, and they didn't move forward with complaint, which tends to be how a lot of times we move forward, is we're complaining about the situation still. We're afraid of the situation. But they don't move forward. They move forward with praise, with worship. Remember, their eyes are on him. Now they're worshiping, and they're not walking in fear. They're not walking in complaint. Reminds me of a story. There was this, this guy, and he was a pastor, and he had this horse. And, and he decided to train this horse with just verbal commands. And, and he, instead of using his reins, he was going to just train him with voice commands. And so he taught the horse that any time he said, uh, hallelujah, the horse would stop. Any time he said, praise the Lord, the horse, horse would go. So hallelujah, the horse would stop. Praise the Lord, the horse would go. And and so the horse really learned these commands. But after a while, he stopped really using them. <clears throat> and uh, he started just using the reins. And, and so as he's, he's, he's trotting along, uh, taking his long ride on his horse, and as he's, he decides, you know, I'm going to go back to the voice commands. <clears throat> so he drops the reins, and the horse is taken off, and he's relaxed. And all of a sudden, they're headed for a cliff. And he thinks, oh, gosh, what, what, what is the word that makes him stop? I can't remember the word that makes this horse stop. He's thinking, I knew it was some kind of holy word. Let's see. Uh, amen. Horse doesn't stop. Uh, Jesus saves. Horse doesn't stop. And all of a sudden, he gets right to the edge of the cliff, and he goes, hallelujah. The horse stops. And he goes, Whew. praise the Lord. <laughs> well, the truth is, neither hallelujah nor praise the Lord really ever means stop. It always, we're always moving forward when we're praising the Lord. We're always moving forward when we are worshiping God. So let's just look at that passage again. Second Chronicles 20, verse 21 and 22. said, so when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army. So he puts in the front lines the worship team. The front lines is the worship team. Verse 22 
uh, before, and they began to say, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir would come against Judah. So they were routed. I want you to imagine this sight now. So here comes the army of Judah. And in the front line of the army is not the mighty men, it's not the archers, it's not chariots, it's the worship team. And the worship team is leading the way in this bold, audacious move. And as they're singing, I want you to just imagine that the soldiers all start joining the song. And it gets louder and louder and louder as they're marching. Now keep in mind that uh, anyone who understands uh, battlefield tactics is that they realize there's a couple things that happen usually in a battlefield before, before the first uh, you know, arrow is shot or gun is shot. And that is usually there's a kind of a dead silence in a battlefield as men are kind of gathering their thoughts and saying their prayers and preparing to possibly die. So there's a silence. And all military strategists will tell you that one of the best things you can do in a military strike is to have the, you know, the advantage of surprise. But I want you to see that what's going on here actually is the opposite of all that. Here you don't have quiet, you have this roaring singing going on just over the hill. And, and as they're marching, they're, you know, forget about surprise. I mean, they are, they are just filling, you know, the, the airwaves with the sound of this song, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. It is louder and louder and louder. And as that's happening, they are marching closer and closer to this edge where they're going to be able to see down into the valley these armies that are attacking them. But it says in this passage that as they're singing, the Lord, the Lord set up ambushes. Now, we're not sure all that that means, that the, that the Lord somehow involved angels in the battle, or, or what did he do? We don't know exactly uh, how he confused these armies, but God did it. He confused them in such a way that two of the armies turned on the third one, destroy them, and then they turn on each other and destroy each other till the time that <clears throat> Judah gets to the edge of this this, this, uh, <clears throat> this cliff and looks down to the valley, when they finally get there, all the armies, all of them are already dead. They look out and they see hundreds of thousands of just corpses, dead bodies just laying there. And they haven't fired one arrow, they haven't thrown one spear. And the battle is already over. I mean, they won a battle that they never even fought. I mean, the Bible is real clear on this. It says no one escaped. No one. All of them. Every down to the last one of them were all dead. They never shot an arrow. They never threw a spear. The fight's over. They marched out singing, and by the time they got in the battlefield, the battlefield got it already finished. It's interesting. Some, some Bibles actually, they add a little, you know, kind of titles over certain paragraphs of your Bible. Some Bibles actually say over this paragraph I read to you, Jehoshaphat defeats Moab and Ammon. I thought that's interesting because Jehoshaphat didn't even lift a finger. I mean, he didn't even sweat. He didn't even get his uniform dirty. None of them did, right? 
And the time they got there, the battle's over. The rest of the story is this. Let me summarize the rest of the story. It took three days to carry the plunder of the enemy away. All their equipment, weapons, uniforms. On the fourth day, after the three days, they had a praise gathering in the Valley of Baraka, which means the Valley of Praise. And then when they got back to Jerusalem after all this, they had another praise gathering. This time they add, you know, the kind of the Old Testament combo of harps, lyres, and trumpets. And then it says, finally, when all the other nations heard about what had happened, they decided to leave the people of God alone. It ends with this verse 30. The kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. So I just want you to see here, they, they worshipped before the crisis, they worshipped during the crisis, and they worshipped after the crisis. Now, worship wasn't an, an event they attended to. It was just kind of a, like their way of life. Was they, they were a worshiping people, and God gave them a fantastic victory. Again, verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. I mean, so as they began just to sing and praise, somehow as they began to sing and praise, in the midst of that worship, the enemy is confused. They're confused, and now they're after each other, and not after the Judah. I just want you to see here that the praise wasn't like a prelude to the battle. Praise was the battle. And worship wasn't the preparation for the strategy. Worship was the strategy. I mean, so, so worship is releasing the power of God. I just want to let me make this plain as I can. When we worship, God's mighty power is unleashed on our behalf. Worship opens the door for this delivering power of God in the midst of our desperation. I want to summarize this message in a few ways. Four simple questions, first of all. I think I can summarize the message. Four simple questions. Who do I trust? God. How do I see myself? Powerless. What do I do in a crisis? I worship. What does God do? He fights the battle for me. You know, I think the writer wants us to learn from that verse 22 that the enemies are God. They are just thrown into some kind of confusion when the people of God are in worship. Or put another way, I think God has actually appointed that our, our spiritual, our, when we're singing spiritual songs and worship to God, that, that is actually a spiritual warfare weapon. We see the same kind of thing happen. Remember in Acts chapter 16 or in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and Silas, remember they're preaching the gospel. They actually are, end up being uh, taken a hold of and they're beaten. They, their shirts are ripped off. They're beaten with rods. so They got open wounds, bleeding out. They, you know, they probably have internal injuries, probably concussions. Then they're dragged off. They're put in shackles. And they're, they're put in, in prison. But I want you to imagine more of a, like a sewage manhole opening and dropping them down in there. Because that's more what the, what the prisons were like 
that time. So they're dropped down in this manhole of this sewage, this dark dungeon. And in the midst of being in that situation, what do they do? Well, we know that they pray, but then they begin singing hymns. In fact, it says in Acts 16, verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, this is midnight. They're, they're bloody, beaten, they're exhausted, and they're singing hymns to God at midnight. And I think sometimes you know, if, you, if someone were to come up to you and you really feel like things are all against you, stacked against you, and say, why don't you sing hymns? I think our tendency might be to don't give me some simplistic you know, approach right now. You don't understand where I'm at. You don't understand what it's like to be on the bottom. I tell you, Paul and Silas are on the bottom. And they are singing hymns. And in the midst of that, here's what happens. Acts 16, verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's fetters were unfastened. So once again, we see somehow in the midst of that worship that we see the power of God begin to be unleashed. And they are set free. There's something about when we are worshiping in the midst of an overwhelming crisis that the power of God is unleashed on our behalf. When we decide to stop complaining and we're not going to be in fear anymore, but we're going to turn our eyes off our problem and onto him and we're going to worship. There's something that, that, that just gets God's attention and he has to unleash his power. Uh, one friend of mine, African-American pastor in Acts 16, he said, he said one time, he said, you know what happened in Acts 16, don't you? I said, no, what happened? He said, well, you know, the Bible says that, you know, the heaven is God's throne and earth is his footstool. So God was sitting on his throne and they started singing in Acts 16 and God starts tapping his foot on the footstool, <laughs> caused an earthquake, set the prisoners free in Acts 16. Our worship is spiritual warfare. When we worship, every time we worship, spirit, there's, spirit, there's power in this for spiritual warfare. I want to tell you the first time I, I saw this. Again, so there was several years ago, we were in our building across from Arlington High School, and it was a morning prayer meeting, and we had maybe 10 people in this morning prayer meeting. And we're in a circle, and we're praying, and, and then we're, some of us are standing, some of us are kneeling, some of us are kind of walking around, we're praying. And the, the building's unlocked for anyone who wants to come to this prayer meeting. We're, we're right across from Arlington High School. And so, so four young people came in. I thought they were four students. They were all wearing black. And what I found out later, they actually were not students. They weren't students. They were four uh, witches. One was, the, what called, one was the head. He called himself a warlock. And they'd just been in an all-night uh, prayer meeting for witches and warlocks. And they stopped by the church to actually come and put a hex on us, make fun of us. I learned all this later. But all I knew is they were in our prayer meeting. <clears throat> and they were laughing. <clears throat> they were stood around us laughing. But we kept worshiping. We kept worshiping. And all of a sudden they left. And they went outside the building. And as they went outside the building, I walked out behind them. I came out by uh, out the building. They're standing outside. I said, uh, I said, who are you guys? And... And 
they said, well, they didn't say their names. And I said, we, we, just, we just came here to harass your prayer meeting, to make fun of you. I said, Who, wh wh where'd you come from? They said, we were in an all-night meeting, and, and I'm, I'm a warlock, and one of them said, and he said, we came just to harass your meeting and make fun of you. I said, okay, well, why did you leave? And then the leader said, because my body started shaking, and I couldn't stop. So I had to, we had to get out of that meeting. I said, what does that tell you? I mean, you're on the losing side. <laughs> Why do you stay on that side? Well, they ended up walking away. And about 30 minutes later, one of them came back. And that next Sunday, he was baptized. The enemies of God are thrown into confusion by the worship of God's people. So again, you're, you're facing an overwhelming situation. What do you do? Let's follow these guidelines. First, turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Make that your, you know, your first line of defense, not your last resort. Turn to God. Secondly, if you haven't done it yet, add fasting. Add fasting. Learn more about it if you don't know. If you need to talk to your doctor first, whatever. But learn how to do it. And we can give you some more resources to help you. Thirdly, gather other believers to pray with you. We see that with Judah. Jesus teaches us to do that. Fourth, keep your eyes on the Lord. In the midst of the problem, and again, our, our eyes tend to go right from the Lord right back to our problem. Keep getting them off your problem onto the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Number four, I'm mean, number five, trust God to fight for you. Number six, go forward with praise. Worship, not fear, and not complaint, and let God win the battle for you. Let's stand here. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up as we close because some of you right now are in the midst of facing overwhelming odds. And the line that they say, and give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. Our God and King, for his love endures forever. It's interesting, that was their song. And so we're going to sing that song. And as we sing it, I believe that God is going to, there's going to be some breakthroughs today. I believe God's going to give us some breakthroughs in this room. Some of you are in the midst of situations, I need, I need a breakthrough. Well, during this song, as we're singing it, some of you just feel free to get out of your seat and come down front and say, okay, Lord, here again, I'm, I want to be one of those guys in the front of this march, like in Judah, believe in you, for you to fight the battle for me. And so and as you do that, so if some of you come up for prayer, some others come up and just put a hand on your shoulder and say, we're going to be in a prayer and agreement with, with their victory today, Lord. So Father, we ask, our eyes are on you right now. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. And Lord, we're asking for you to rout the enemy. We're asking you to confuse the enemy <clears throat> who's come against individuals in this room, families, bodies, Lord, uh, finances, occupation, all kinds of things, Lord. You know the story. Today we're asking you <clears throat> to rout the enemy. We're asking you to turn the enemy against themselves. In the name of Jesus. 
and bring victory for your people, Lord. Because our eyes are on you. And we believe, Lord, you will win the battle.
we're going to keep our eyes on you. Lord, we're going to keep moving forward in praise. We're going to keep believing, Lord, that you've got it. We've given it to you. You've got this battle. And Lord, we thank you in advance for all that you are doing and going to do. And I pray, Lord, even today, even right now, Lord, you would confuse the enemy. You'd shatter the powers of darkness in the name of Jesus that are coming against anyone and everyone in this room. And we ask you, O Lord, for testimonies that will now come springing out of this time of how you entered in and brought deliverance. We give, we'll give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.